This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, four people are dead and close to 30 injured after a shooting in Alabama over the weekend. The chaos broke out at a Sweet 16 party in the small town of Dadeville. Find out what's known so far. What's the outlook like for inflation in the job market? Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen shares her views on the economy. Former President Trump's fundraising gets a big boost following his indictment. The total afterwards is quickly nearing the amount from the three months before. We break down his campaign's fundraising report. Heavy fighting in Sudan. The country's military clashed with paramilitary forces over the weekend. As many as 100 civilians have died so far. And as the saying goes, find a job you enjoy and you'll never have to work a day in your life. A high school student in Texas is doing just that and takes home a huge cash prize. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer, in for Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday, April 17th. We begin with some tragic news. A shooting in Alabama over the weekend left four people dead and at least 28 others injured. That happened Saturday night in the small town of Dadeville. And another shooting in Louisville, Kentucky, the same day. That happened at a park. Two people were killed and four injured. The city is still recovering from a recent shooting at a bank that left five people dead. The circumstances that led to the shooting in downtown Dadeville are not yet clear. Police are still speaking to witnesses to try and find out more. They're asking the public for help. Officials have not released any details about a suspect or a possible motive. They did say there was no longer any threat to the community, but did not say if a suspect had been killed or arrested. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what's known so far. The shooting happened at a Sweet 16 birthday party being held at Mahogany Masterpiece Dance Studio Saturday night. Phil Dowdell was among the four people killed. The high school senior was a football player and brother to the birthday girl. He had recently locked in a scholarship to play for Jacksonville State University. Dowdell's coach says he never dreamed something like this could happen. Why? Why did it happen? You know, we don't, they don't have any enemies. A second victim was named by her family, Ka Nicole Smith, an 18-year-old volleyball and track and field athlete. The identities of the other two killed are not yet known. Authorities haven't officially confirmed the victims' identities. Police say injuries cover a wide range, from extremely critical to minor. Keenan Cooper, the DJ at the party, says it was too dark to see who the shooter was or where the gunfire was coming from. Dadeville's mayor says guns and violence don't have a frequent presence in the town of around 3,000 people. He thinks gun control would prove as futile as trying to control illegal drugs. If you want one, you can, you can purchase one, just like the drugs. Uh, people still getting drugs. Community members gathered at a vigil on Sunday to pray and support each other. The community in Louisville, Kentucky, is still reeling from recent killings at a bank. A shooter Saturday night fired into a crowd of people at Chickasaw Park. Two people were killed and four others injured. The unidentified suspect is still at large. President Biden called for more gun control in a statement Sunday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
Former President Trump shared his thoughts on guns and gun control before the shooting. That was at the National Rifle Association's Leadership Forum in Indianapolis on Friday. Here's what he had to say. Our country has been chock full of guns for centuries, and there was no talk of massacres of school children until around the year 2000. That's when it really started. They started talking about it. This is not a gun problem. This is a mental health problem. This is a social problem. This is a cultural problem. This is a spiritual problem. With me at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, no one will lay a finger on your firearms, just as took place for four years when I was your president. Trump also said Democrats in Washington are holding common sense school safety measures hostage to their radical gun control agenda. He says such measures would, in his words, do nothing to prevent attacks by demented and disturbed individuals. The former president says he would create a new tax credit if re-elected in 2024, one that would reimburse teachers for the cost of a concealed carry firearm and training from a qualified expert. And in other news, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has a positive outlook on tackling inflation while keeping unemployment low. And today's Daniel Monahan brings us the story. Yellen acknowledges that an easing of stress in the labor market would help get inflation down, but says a soft landing is possible. That could be achieved by slowing down the economy just enough to keep inflation in check, but not so much that many Americans lose their jobs. I believe a strong labor market and bringing down inflation are compatible goals. But the Treasury Secretary told CNN that other factors have pushed inflation up besides labor market tightness. These include Russia's war in Ukraine driving food and energy prices up and pandemic-era supply chain disruptions. Those caused key material shortages that gummed up critical pieces of the economy like the auto industry. We're seeing those supply chain bottlenecks that um, boosted inflation. They're beginning to resolve. On lending, Yellen says banks are likely to become somewhat more cautious in the wake of the Silicon Valley bank collapse that could be a substitute um, for further pricing, further interest rate hikes that the Fed needs to make. Meanwhile, the dollar rebounded on Monday and hit a one-month high against the yen. Positive numbers in retail sales and impressive Wall Street bank earnings raised market expectations for an interest rate hike from the Federal Reserve in May. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Joining us live to discuss this is Michael Bussler, public policy analyst and professor of finance at Stockton University. Thanks for making the time today, Michael. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Kevin and Tiffany. As you know, it's my pleasure to be here. And as we mentioned, the Treasury chief said a likely credit crunch would keep them from having to raise rates. Now, there is talk that May would be the last time that they would raise it for a while. What would happen if they do or if they don't? <clears throat> With all due respect to Secretary Yell and I disagree with her. She's kind of in forecasting this. You may recall back in 2021, uh, she said the inflation is temporary, so we don't have to do much. It'll go away on its own. Obviously, that didn't happen. She also said monetary policy theory uh, is not uh, applicable today. We have modern monetary theory, which also turned out to be wrong. So what this secretary is saying is, the reason we really have inflation is there's excess demand in the economy, mostly caused by the federal government's um, 
excess de uh, deficit spending and by the Federal Reserve's very loose monetary policy in 2021. The interest rate hikes are supposed to reduce demand in the economy by making um, it more expensive to buy interest rate sensitive products like cars and houses, and also uh, more expensive for consumers to use their credit cards. The Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to try to reduce demand. She's saying that uh, if banks tighten up their lending, that'll be enough. I don't think she's right again. I think the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates in May, and I think they're going to have to raise them one or two more times before the end of the year. I said last year when they started to raise rates that the federal funds rate is probably going to have to hit 6% to have a long-term impact on reducing inflation. A lot of people were hoping that this would be temporary, this inflation, but it wasn't the case. What, what if the banks do pull back on lending? How will that impact the economy and job growth? Well, um, if they pull back on lending, um, that means consumers won't get more credit, business won't get more credit, so that will uh, reduce aggregate demand and it will tend to bring the inflation rate down. I don't think it'll be enough. I think the Fed's going to have to raise um, interest rates. The most likely scenario, uh, even with the banks tightening, is the Fed will raise uh, one or two times um, before the uh, after May and before the end of the year. I think that will lead to a slight recession, probably starting uh, in the third quarter of this year. Now, because there's a severe labor shortage, it'll keep the recession relatively mild. Why do I say that? Typically, uh, when we have a recession, businesses cut back on production, they lay people off. As they lay people off, people have less money to spend, and that makes the recession worse. Usually, unemployment goes up, up significantly. Today, there are about 10 million job openings and only 6 million unemployed people. So what will happen is, um, as a result of that labor shortage, uh, the unemployment rate won't go up nearly as much as it does as it has during uh, past recessions, and that'll keep the recession relatively mild. Hopefully that slight recession is preventable. Now, is it nearly certain that the banks will cause this credit crunch due to the crisis, or are there any alternatives, ways to incentivize lending and the government can take other action, or is this all just inevitable? Yeah, so um, they really don't want to incentivize lending because, again, if they do, that's going to increase demand in the economy and that's going to make inflation worse. Look, uh, inflation peaked at 9% in June. It's dialed down to 5%. And people are saying, well, you don't have to raise interest rates anymore. Inflation's coming down. The reason inflation uh, came down was that China essentially shut down their economy uh, because they had the zero COVID policy. And as a result of that, they're the second largest economy in the world. Uh, it reduced demand for energy. So energy prices fell significantly during the last half of 2022 and in the early part of 2023, which is why the inflation rate is relatively mild. However, uh, China is back operating at full capacity. The OPEC countries, which increases demand for energy. They're going to get energy prices up. I don't know if you bought gasoline recently, but it's probably about 25, 30 cents a gallon more than you were paying uh, last month at this time. I think that's going to trigger more inflation um, going forward. And the Federal Reserve is going to have to continue to tighten up with the money supply, even with the banks reducing uh, lending in order to really get this inflation problem 
down. We have to get this down too. Inflation is a cancer. And if we let it spread, it becomes very difficult to solve. So finally, in June of 2022, the Federal Reserve said price stability, reducing inflation is our primary goal. We're going to do whatever we have to do to reduce inflation. Yeah, something needs to be done. And thanks for helping us look at the big picture here with some of these foreign affairs. Michael Bussler, professor of finance at Stockton University. Great to have your analysis. Thank you, Kevin. Look forward to doing it again. And looking now to politics, Trump's 2024 campaign has seen a big bump in fundraising since his indictment. It's up to more than $34 million since the start of the year. He raised close to $19 million in the first quarter of 2023. That was through his joint fundraising committee and his campaign. $4 million that was in the first 24 hours after the indictment was announced. Over a quarter of the donations were from first-time donors. But the total after the indictment is now approaching what was taken in over the previous three months. The campaign says it's raised over $15 million in the two weeks since the charges were revealed. Trump has pleaded not guilty to 34 felony charges of falsifying business records. Many Republicans see the prosecution as politically motivated. More on politics. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has vowed to continue fighting the war on woke. The Republicans spoke to about 9,000 students at Liberty University on Friday before receiving an honorary Doctorate of Humanities degree. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the governor's speech. DeSantis called Florida a refuge of sanity and a ray of hope at a time when freedom has withered on the vine. In his view, Florida's population growth and his landslide re-election victory last year are a direct result of his fight against the so-called woke ideology. The woke mind virus represents a war on merit. It represents a war on achievement. It's a form of cultural Marxism that seeks to use identity politics to divide Americans. But perhaps most of all, the woke represents a war on the truth. DeSantis said it's wrong for a teacher in school to tell second graders that they may have been born in the wrong body or that their gender is a choice. Truth is enduring. You can try to cover it up, you can try to hide it, you can try to distort it, but as time goes by, the deceit and the lies fade away and what is true remains. The Florida governor said since woke represents a war on truth, society must wage a war on woke. He then touched upon the founding fathers. According to DeSantis, they understood that the survival of the American experiment would require more than just a great constitution. It would require dedication to true American principles. Our rights are not the courtesy of the government. They are the gift from Almighty God. The Florida governor says Americans must insist on restoration of what he called time-tested constitutional principles so that a government of by and for the people will not perish from the earth. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And after the break, heavy fighting in Sudan. The country's army clashed with rival paramilitary forces, killing at least 100 people. We'll have more after the break.
Welcome back. Fighting between Sudan's army and the country's rival paramilitary forces is now in its third day. The bloody power struggle started on Saturday. Around 100 civilians have been killed and nearly 400 injured since fighting began. Here's NTD's Cost Temenes to tell us more. Fighting erupted when army units loyal to General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan clashed with paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, or RSF. The conflict was sparked by a disagreement over the integration of the RSF into the military as part of a transition towards civilian rule. A ceasefire was proposed by the UN to allow humanitarian evacuations, which was largely ignored by both sides despite initially agreeing. Sudan's paramilitaries, led by General Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, said on Saturday they had seized the presidential palace, as well as the international airport in Khartoum, in what appeared to be a coup attempt. The RSF, which is reportedly 100,000 strong, said it had also seized airports in the northern city of Merowe and in El Obeid in the west. However, witnesses say Sudan's army appeared to gain the upper hand on Sunday after pounding military bases with airstrikes. The clash was the first outbreak since 2019, when both military groups joined forces to oust veteran Islamist autocrat Omar Hassan al-Bashir. Both sides have accused each other of attacking first. The United States, China and Russia, alongside Egypt and Saudi Arabia, have appealed for a quick end to the conflict. This was echoed by the UN Security Council as well as both the European and African Union. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken urged both sides to return to the original transition plan. Cost MNS, NTD News. A shocking scene captured on live TV. A former Indian lawmaker and his brother were shot to death. The ex-politician was convicted of kidnapping and was facing murder and assault charges. Police were escorting the two men to a medical checkup when the shooting occurred. Please note, this report contains content that some viewers may find disturbing. The media were interviewing the brothers as police took them for mandatory health checks. Three men posing as media members started firing. One surrendered immediately after the shooting, while officers subdued the other two suspects. The victims died within minutes. The dramatic footage of the men being killed was shared across broadcast channels and social media. The state government, controlled by Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Hindu Nationalist Party, has ordered a judicial probe into the killings. After carrying out the shooting, the suspect shouted Hindu religious chants. Fearing violent unrest in the wake of the killings, the Uttar Pradesh government barred gatherings of more than four people across the state. In a chaotic moment in Japan, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida was evacuated after a blast occurred at an outdoor speech on Saturday. Here's the story. An explosion is heard at a venue where Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida was due to make a speech on Saturday. Police detained a suspect who threw what appeared to be a smoke bomb. Witnesses say they saw an object sailing over their heads, heard a loud explosion, and then clouds of smoke. The Prime Minister himself took cover and was evacuated unhurt, according to public broadcaster NHK. Local news outlets say a 24-year-old male from Kawanishi City was arrested in relation to the incident, but police have so far yet to provide more details on the suspect. The incident happened in Saikazaki, a small fishing town 40 miles southwest of Osaka.
The Japanese prime minister was being served local specialty seafood just before the explosion, media reported. Kishida's Liberal Democratic Party confirmed he would continue his Saturday afternoon campaign after the incident. By-elections in various regions for the lower house of Japan's parliament are to be held on April 23rd. Political violence is extremely rare in Japan, but security measures were reviewed for politicians after former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was shot to death last year, shocking a nation unused to gun crime. Kishida is set to host a Group of Seven summit in Hiroshima next month. Japan's foreign ministry said after Saturday's incident, there would be no change to G7 security plans. Some people get their adrenaline from parachuting, others by rock climbing. But here's a story about some tourists in Russia who are up to something different. Two adventure seekers got more than they bargained for when the volcano they were traversing began to erupt. Piotr Kirinken and Kristina Krokina were on their way to see the Bezimiani volcano in Russia's extreme east Kamchatka region with a group of scientists. As the group were within five miles of the volcano cone, that's when they began to hear rumbles and feel the earth shake. Volcanologists know the activity of the Bezimiani volcano was rising, says Krinken, reflecting on his close call. Scientists knew there would be an explosion at some point, he adds, but not when. And when it began to blow, there was nowhere to hide. Krinken captured footage of the incident while the group formed makeshift shelters from their sledges and snowmobiles as ash and rocks rained down around them. After waiting for the dust cloud to clear, they were able to return to base camp unscathed. Bezimiani is the latest in a series of volcanic eruptions in Russia. Earlier this week, one of the country's most active volcanoes erupted, sending plumes of ash into the sky and prompting a hazard warning for airlines. Coming up, a high school student in Texas is following her dream, and she took home a huge cash prize in the process. And a man in North Carolina had an interesting encounter while relaxing in his carport. A black bear dropped by for a visit. Find out how he reacted after the break. Welcome back. A Texas high schooler was named grand champion of a renowned rodeo art show. Her artwork is a photorealistic painting of a rider on horseback herding cows. Let's take a look at her story. Mia Huckman is an 18-year-old high schooler living in Houston, Texas. This February, she took the top spot at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo's 2023 School Art Contest. Her artwork was selected from among 4,500 submissions from school districts across Southeast Texas. I paint like a lot of things. I, I do architecture, I do portraits, but um, rodeo art, it's always been sort of a big deal like within my school district. It's a thing that um, gets advertised a lot in our classes. And I just think that the scholarship money that you can win from the contest is um, a really big opportunity. Huckman told NTD she has always liked art as a kid and started taking art classes when she was eight. Her winning painting titled Our Last Roundup is based on a photo taken at a real Texas ranch. Huckman said she started working on the painting in mid-October and finished it in early January. I like um, painting portraits because I think that every portrait of a different person is obviously going to be different and the personal connections that you can see in that kind of work is really unique. The high schooler said there were challenges in completing the artwork and balancing her life as a student. 
you get texts from your friends like, hey, let's go out for lunch, let's go out for dinner, and then of course you, can't, you have to tell them, no, I'm gonna paint, and it um, honestly sometimes feels like a little silly because nobody else has that um, that problem, it's just me every time. But um, just because it's an every year thing, then I know that at the end of the day, it's going to be like fulfilling if I can pull off the piece that I'm looking forward to. So um, even though it's hard in the moment, it's always worth it after. Huckman's painting was auctioned off in early March. She took home $30,000 from the auction. This was Huckman's fourth time entering into the art contest. The high schooler said when she first told her parents she wanted to go into art, they were unhappy about it. They were like, that's not going to work out. Like, you're never going to make any money. Um, but that, that was just at the very beginning when I was probably in middle school. And by now, there's really nobody who's telling me like, oh, this isn't, this isn't an option because I think that every single year I've just done so well with art that I've kind of proved that it is a possible career path. Huckman says she plans to attend Savannah College of Art Design in the future and pursue a career as a concept artist. Those paintings look really good and they were really detailed too. Yeah, they're really beautiful and I feel like you can really sense the souls in her painting. Wow, it's really deep, Tiff. <laughs> and you know, I like the fact that she believed in her dream and now she realizes it and she shows her parents that she can do it. Indeed, and moving on from rodeos to a bit closer to home. Just how close can you get to a bear? Well, a man in North Carolina ran into a situation that he found a bit unbearable. David Oppenheimer was relaxing outside his home last week when his motion detector sounded an alarm. He turned around and didn't see anything, but moments later, a bear was staring him right in the face. Oppenheimer grabbed a pillow and he admits his body froze. The bear did not move toward him and instead just ran off. Oppenheimer says this is not the first time this bear came calling. He has video of the bear sitting on his deck and eating from his bird feeder. And he said he's noticed the same bear looking through his trash cans in the past. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure who was more startled, the man or the bear. Kevin, what would you do in that situation? Oh, I don't know. I'd probably just look out from the window and watch him eat from the bird feeder. Grab some popcorn, enjoy the show. But if you saw a bear right behind you? <laughs> well, I'd probably just start making some noise and shoo him off a little bit. God. These are dangerous maybe animals. Just, maybe he just wanted to chill with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to find out. That's all from us on today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.